Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. Welcome, everybody, back to the Life and Rhythm podcast, season three. I'm with a couple of my friends here, Wayne and Aaron, who are doing ministry with redemption. I'm going to say this wrong. I say it wrong all the time. Alhambra? You got it. That's exactly it. I did. There you go. You the right way. Everybody else gets it wrong. You know, they're Alhambra, whatever. Alhambra. Alhambra. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I have only met Wayne a couple times, but I get to hang out with Aaron almost every month uh, through Surge. And uh, if you don't know what Surge is, go to their website, Church Plan Network in Phoenix. It's phenomenal based on friendship, restoration. Come on, seeing multiple denominations of churches come together for the glory of God and the good of others um, through genuine friendship. And I would consider you all my friends. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So Wayne, I'm going to start with you, bro. Just an yeah. introduction. Tell us kind of who you are. What's your background? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I helped co-lead Redemption at Harbor Church with Aaron Daly. Um, my background, both my, my wife and I, we grew up Muslims in New York. And um, <clears throat> came out here probably about 20 years or so ago and and found the Lord while we was out here, fell in love with Jesus, you know, had to make that, that, that transition there and stuff. Um, and so half of our family are still Muslims, half of our families are believers. Uh, and when I say Muslims, I, I started out um, Sunni and stuff. I became nation and a why in a community in New York and stuff um, where like there was a lot of us there. So that's where I met my wife at. Um, <clears throat> I am the son of Jamaican immigrants. Um, my father was deported when I was little though. So I didn't grow up with him and stuff. Him and my mom wasn't married. Um, my mom, oh, she still lives out here inside the States. And um, I got a beautiful family. I love my kids, my wife. And um, we just loved um, greatly. So I don't know. That's a quick flyover who I am and stuff. Um, the past, I've that's been, perfect, bro. Thank um, you. A believer for the past twenty years. Twenty. Okay. Did Thank you, you bro. Thank you. Make sure we're good. Yeah, yeah. You were cutting in and out, but we heard a lot of good. So, all right, all right. Yeah, we we got we got the gist of it. We got it. All right, so Aaron, tell us, you know, where are you coming from? Yeah, where'd you buy that? Where'd you buy that gorilla hat that you're wearing right now? That's my that's my Phoenix <laughs> Suns pride, bro. That's what it is. That's all. It is. Um, so I actually grew up in a pastor's home, church planner home, missionaries home. After I actually moved out, after I grew up and moved out, my parents went to the Middle East and planted churches. So. Kind of grew up in the Western church, but in a very different way, in a different context. I was really attracted to 
gospel music. And when I say gospel, I'm talking black gospel music. And so mm. I, the true gospel music, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I grew up singing in uh, choirs and being discipled kind of in black and brown spaces, felt at home with, um, with that community and just felt like I met Jesus kind of in poor and um, impoverished my minority communities and just really had an experience with the gospel and the Holy Spirit and uh, felt called into ministry really young and uh, went to a school called Christ for the Nations, which was kind of a charismatic Bible Institute, really engaged with, you know, cross-cultural kind of ministry and across the nations and all that kind of stuff. And uh, ended up in Phoenix by a friend that I sang in choirs with. Um, he wrote a song. He wrote a song called When I Think About the Lord and mm. uh, came out here and was leading worship. And he asked me to come be on the team out here. And my wife and I moved here, immediately fell in love with Phoenix. But it was like a inner city. It was called Phoenix Inner City Church. It was a... I think we might have been the only white folks there, felt at home, loved it, and uh, were a part of that community for a while. And then as the church hit a bunch of turbulence and leadership problems, uh, we found ourselves at 24 years old, kind of going, what are we going to do? Felt like we were called to these people and planted a church in 2002, um, 24 years old at a, in the inner city. And just have been here by God's grace ever since. And uh, so I don't know, man, we've had all kinds of more things happen than that, but that's kind of a flyover. And now Wayne and I pastor that church together and it's a multi-ethnic community and filled with all kinds of, you know, people and uh, just in a kind of an impoverished community. But um, God's really been out been faithful to us. And so I love pastoring with Wayne and Rashida. My wife and I um, been married for 24 years. I got five kids. And um, I don't know how much more you want to know, Matt. That's what I want to know. (laughs) A typical typical white guy from the West Coast, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For anybody who's met Aaron Daly, nobody has used the word typical. I don't think ever to say, <laughs> okay. oh, he's a typical dude. Yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> no. no. Thank you both. No. No. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So um, I, th- I told you all, but I want to tell our listeners that this whole season is really centered around two questions. Uh, and it's around identity and calling as the church, as the ecclesia, the called out ones. And so what is the church? What's the essence of the church? And what is the church for? What is the purpose? And I would like to ask, starting with Wayne, um, you know, when you think about that question, so you can think about it personally, biblically, historically, formationally, whatever, whatever pops into your imagination or conscious. When I ask that question, hey, Wayne, tell me about the essence of the church. What is the church? Because that's something that we have wrestled with. We've been on a journey uh, within Rhythm Community for the last few years, digging in to, man, um, what is essential to the nature of the church? Like what makes it distinctly the church? And so what comes to your heart and mind when you hear yeah. that question? Well, when I had that question, two things come to my mind, um, two words, um, mission and witness. 
Um, I, I think about what God is doing in the earth, what God is doing in on 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 the planet and stuff. Like the the, the church is His tool, is His get busy tools, is is what He's using for what. He wants to accomplish what he wants to see, but he needs a set apart tool for that, um, and, and what he what he's doing. So, so, so that's one thing that I think about God doing mission and saying, "Listen, I'm forming. I'm the creator, God. I'm going to create the tool that I'm going to use for this. That tool is the is the church. Uh, the other part I think about is witness. That while that part of how that tool functions is being um, uh, uh, a witness um, throughout time, throughout the ages, throughout culture, a witness that constantly points back to the kingdom of God, that constantly points back mm-hmm. to his sovereignty, his rule on um, how beautiful he is, that constantly shines um, his light in dark areas, that constantly um, is, 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 is we're being salt and light and stuff. We're preserving what's good uh, and um, as, 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 as salt being light in dark places. It's sort of like God sees the dark areas and he's hanging lights in the dark areas. Those lights he's hanging is the church. So that's what I think about the church and stuff. God's missional tool at the same time, a witness to his glory that should be seen through us as broken people. Dude, I love that so much. I, the What did you say? How did you phrase that? The church is the get to work tool is that what you said get busy tool the get busy tool come on beautiful i love that that's fantastic yeah you're making me think of this uh, i'm gonna butcher this quote uh but i know it's by leslie newbegin and he said something along the lines on his missionary journey in india he said uh what the mission is to the church is what burning is to a flame it is the essence of it Mm. And so I would wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying right now. And you're making me think of that Sermon on the Mount phrase, you know, just a city on a hill, a light meant to be a light. So, yeah, bro, I resonate with that deeply. Thank you. That's so good. Aaron. Yeah. Well, I don't think you could say it better than Wayne. (laughs) You Uh, could just say amen. I'll just just say Break but, into one of your courses, one of your least, courses. <laughs> You couldn't handle it on this podcast. <laughs> you, already, you couldn't handle it. This podcast might blow up if we did that. Oh, my gosh. He's an organist. <laughs> That's right. organist. Um, right. And I didn't bring a sweat rag or a handheld. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, to add to that, I would just say, I think all of it is rooted in our identity as the family of God. So I, when I think of the church, I, prim- I primarily think of the family of God. Um, I think the primary revelation of God's people, there's others, um, is identified by our relationship to God. So God as father and we as his children also defines our relationship with God, but it also defines our relationship with one another, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can't say we love God and not say that we don't love and uh, have covenant with one another. So I think there's a deep commitment to our relationship with God and then in that relationship with one another. Um, So I would primarily think that God's primary revelation of himself and his people is family. And then if we 
live as family in the world, then we're going to see um, the work of God being done by the people of God um, in multiplication, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's going to be uh, inside of family, the mystery of God opening the womb and children being birthed forth other children of God. And um, that we're going to see the filling of the earth um, with God's people. So I think the way that God brings about his work is illustrated best in family. I think it's shown best as work. Otherwise, what we end up starting seeing ourselves is maybe militant, you know, like an army that is out there to take over the world. Uh, maybe we start to see ourselves as um, just laborers. And, uh, but I think lovers outwork laborers all the time. You know, I think if we are seeing how much we're loved and that we have this love for God and others that we can work really hard. But if we see ourselves as laborers, then we'll, we'll start to identify with God just as master rather than father. And I think there's elements of those revelations, but I think we have to go back to our primary calling and our relationship. So the way we kind of talk about it, and I'll, I'll just say these three things, we, we believe that everything is rooted in revelation. So when you receive a revelation of who God is, particularly in his Trinitarian covenantal relationship in himself, Father, Son, Spirit, then you'll start to see how your relationship. So revelation is the bedrock foundation. Then your relationships start looking like your revelation rather than um how you're living by sight, you're living by faith. So whatever's happening under the soil, your relationships start looking like that. So if we see God as distinct, equal one, our relationships will look look distinct, equal in one. So we won't try to just be in relationship with people who are the same as us. They'll be distinctly different than us. And we see their distinctions, not just as a threat, but we see them as a benefit to the very manifold wisdom of God, the multi- faceted wisdom of God needing to be seen in the multicolored church and the multi everything church, if you will. And so the people of God then build relationships with distinct people, not trying to get them to assimilate to a certain culture or way. And then there's a, a equality that happens. And when we say equality, it's like outdoing one another and showing honor, this mutual submission. There's this, pointing to the other rather than trying to lift up self. And then this oneness that John, that Jesus prays for in John 17, that Ephesians 4, uh, you know, beautifully paints that there's all throughout the, that God's desire for us as the church is to be one. And that when that is our relationships, distinct equal one, that third layer is reconciliation. So revelation, relationships, reconciliation. Now the world can come and rest in a community where they're seeing the gospel being embodied in their relationships. And the very essence of the church is missional in its, in its embodiment that people will look at a church that is multicolored, multifaceted, (laughs) humble before one another in family and in covenant, and they're going to be blown away by it. So Wayne and I talk about this often and I'll just leave it here. So I probably went over my time already, but <laughs> this idea of if people walk into a, a church, let's say gathering and they can see any other reason 
why they're gathering, going, oh, they're all the same color. They're all the same. They like all the same music. They believe the same theological tradition. They have all of these kinds of things that make them one. If there's anything else that we can point to besides Jesus and the gospel that brings us together, it's, it's not as profoundly evident. Like you could go, oh, they like the same style of clothes. They like the same style of music. That's why they get together. But yeah. that if we as the church can confuse people, like they can walk in and go, what brings these people together? I can't tell. They all come from all nations, all places, all backgrounds, all economic brackets, all, um, you know, they're all distinct in so many ways, but they're always humbly outdoing one another and showing honor. They're pointing to each other. And there's a a mystery when people walk in, they want to go, why can these people walk in such love and unity together? So I think that very nature of the family in those ways reveals the Trinity to a world that is, is so far from God that they get to see a foretaste of it in the church. And that is, you know, why you'll see all the birds of the air being able to come and rest in that kind of place, you know, because they're like, and there's reconciliation, there's the power of the gospel. So I think there's a lot more to it, but that's just kind of what I think of in this get busy tool category, you know, get busy. That's right. Those three layers are so helpful, Aaron. I think for me personally, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody put it like that in terms of our familial identity being uh, about revelation and relationship and that relationship flowing into reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That seems to me to be very helpful. And the fact that you're tying in our identity with the essence of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is incredibly helpful because how can we know ourselves right. apart from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And yeah, um, yeah there's this great book uh, called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Um, he's from England. He's a theological stud from England. Short little book, one of my favorite books on the Trinity, where he says his favorite image for the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is one of a fountain. Mm. That the father is overflowing his self-sacrificial love onto the son. And the son is overflowing like one of those tiered fountains. His self-sacrificial, self-giving love through the Holy Spirit onto us. And that as a community, that's what we're meant to be and embody to those around us. But, uh, I mean, you're making me me think, um, I mean, most churches... We're not too far from Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, you're making me think that most churches are still pretty segregated. Most churches, you wouldn't walk in and wonder, why are these people together? They, You would say pretty clearly, oh, they must really like this preacher. He's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they must, this, music's, this music's on point, or this children's ministry, that must, that must be the reason, because all these people look pretty much the same. And so part of our uh, distinctiveness and part of our beauty, um, which I think is what draws the helps draw people to Christ, is our beauty, our gospel beauty, is the diversity and unity. Amen. So, yeah. if my battery, really good, I apologize because I'm on. I I I feel bad. I don't know if I have a plug, Wayne. Do that's we? That's all have, right. I don't want to ruin the podcast. 
<laughs> no, if, if my you, sons, uh, I had to borrow. Yeah, sure. You edit this out of your final edition there. <laughs> um, if I die, I'll have. I'll have. Yeah. However, I probably won't because this is funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Aaron, I'll shoot this to you just in case your battery dies. All right. Last question. In light of revelation, relationships, reconciliation. Now you're hinting at the purpose of the church, but let me ask you straight up in the valley in 2022, when you're going and encountering the living God in your own time, collectively with other community members, what are you hearing him say in terms of the call of the church for today? What are we called to be and do today in the valley? What, what's the burden on your heart to see happen, not just at Redemption Alhambra, but across the valley? You're a good questioner, bro. You got good questions. I like that. <laughs> Man, this leans into my... My so I'm going to give you a little background and then answer it. I I come from a charismatic background and I still believe in the fivefold kind of ministry gifts. Yeah. I know Alan Hirsch has done a ton of work on this. So I I but for a long time I think he's helped to give language to something that profoundly is resonating in my heart. I think that the Western Church particularly has gone to being led by just shepherds and teachers. And so because of that, we have lost apostolic kind of movement and prophetic vision and uh, evangelistic feet, if you will. And um, I really do believe that we have to see a reawakening of the fivefold in the, in the, in the, in this manifold, wisdom of Christ that he would give these gifts to the church so that the church could be mobilized. And I think some of the stagnancy of the Western church is it's cutting off three out of the five gifts that God's given, you know? So I say personally for myself, one thing that has allowed for me to function as the kind of leader that I feel most called to be is I've in Alhambra with Wayne and them, Wayne has different gifts than I do. He's not just different in the color of skin and not just different in, you know, all these other ways, East coast, West coast, all those different things. But what makes it, it work so well for me is just this beautiful gifts that God's given to him where I've always struggled to adapt for personally to the title pastor, because I don't feel like that's my, my actual gift and title and that because the West only has one title for leadership called pastor, I think it's cut off huge gifts that have come for this reason to -hmm. equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right. So our our people are unequipped because we have only allowed the equipping to happen through pastors and teachers and not through, if you will, apostolic sent kind of leaders, prophetic kind of guardians of covenant and evangelistic, you know, gatherers who are out there. And I think we've got to get all the gifts mobilized again so that the people of God in the West can start to get, um, get to work. You know, what happens with 
pastor teacher gifts, if they're the ones that are just really leading, I think we're, we're seeing in the West what, what that ends up looking like a bunch of very comfortable, um, yeah. not engaged in their community, mono ethnic, mono everything, you know, very divided. And then, you know, theologically trying to like break down scripture and um, dividing over their views of scripture and very comfortable because they're just fed well, but they're not feeling this sentness or they're not having this prophetic edge to it and there's no evangelistic feat. And so I'm just praying that for this renewal of the church that it would start with its vision for the fivefold, you know, that all gifts would be recognized in all people, men, women, um, all nations, you know, all brackets that God has is raising up people who have this view of ministry that can lead and equip the saints because we got to mobilize the whole laity. Like we cannot just be having, you know, people sitting in pews and thinking they're doing church, doing the yeah. stuff, you know? Um, and yeah. so I'm praying for that. I think if, if anything is burning on me right now, it's just Lord, um, capture the hearts of all the gifts and what, use um, what can I ask just briefly, you know, you come up, you, you encounter somebody within your church context locally and they say, I get that, Aaron. Man, I want that. Yeah, I want to figure it out and I want to activate it. I hear you giving me permission. What are some of the first steps you invite them into to say, here's here's some initial steps for you to help you figure out that apostleship gift, that prophet gift, evangelism, shepherd, teacher, all that, by the way, for those of you listening, coming out of Ephesians 4, you know, for the yeah. – yeah. yeah, and so wh- what what are you inviting them into? What's a little baby step that you're usually giving them of try this on? So if it's, if it's a baby step, I'm always going to say the first step is trying to teach them to be around people that are different than them, right? Because as much as I can get people familiar with other gifts, I think there's so many good teachers out there who are like, I would say Alan Hirsch. I mean, there's so many books that are out there on the fivefold. I mean, you, 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 it's not like we're lacking resources, no. but most of the church has just been both taught and then also culturally trained to only be in kind of a theologically pure strand that they cannot they can't touch other strands of the thing because everybody else is heretics except for us. Mm. And so when, when we have that, we, we have a hard time being around people who are different than us. And I think that shows in everything we do. So f- the biggest thing for me is just trying to teach, but look, if we, if you want to first, you got it, you can read some stuff, but you got to start getting proximate, like not just like watching from a distance, but you got to start getting proximate to people who are different than you, not just ethnically, but gifted wise and economic wise, because proximity is just as much of a learning tool as reading a book, if not more, I would say, if not more. So proximate to this stuff, you will never, you'll never learn. So Alan Hirsch says this in his book. He says, you never 
are able to really live in unity with people give it different than you. And I'm going to botch his quote, but it's something like this. Until you not just recognize that people are different, but you can explain why their differences are needed in your life. Yes. Yes. So you can't just recognize I... I, that they are different. You have to start being able to say, I need them in my life. I need them for these reasons. And so I think proximity, education, and then just getting getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is something we said I'll hammer all the time. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's beautiful, bro. The fact that you didn't say read this book or take this uh, spiritual gifts assessment just warms my heart. Come on, man. You have no idea. I, how many times when you ask people for advice, do they say, oh, yeah, yeah, go to this website. Just take this test. It'll spit out some answers on you. Um, I love that anytime I read the Gospels, there's nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus says, go take this test and come back to me and you tell me what if you are an apostle. That'll tell you. Right. <laughs> That's right. Or, or read this book. I got most of the people that I know who are genuinely trying to follow Jesus, be changed by his Holy Spirit, and be more committed to his mission and witness. Most of them are tired of podcasts and reading, yeah. and, and they don't want another resource. And they need to hear that, bro. They need to hear, man, get proximate with other people and get proximate into the presence of God. Mm. Allow him to speak into you because the more you're proximate with those two spaces, uh, the more you will be more self-aware. Right. And you and most of us don't need another book, honestly. Really. So, amen to all that, bro. Thank you, Wayne. Yo, what up? <clears throat> all right. So, based on all that, uh, you can riff off what Aaron said, or you can just kind of say, Matt uh, and the people listening, here's what I'm hearing the Spirit invite me into in terms of uh, our collective calling and our identity as the church for 2022. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, a couple of things. Um, if I, and when I'm thinking about <clears throat> what I feel the spirit calling, calling us into, and I, and I don't think like just for redemption church, redemption, Alhambra, but in general, um, a sober and mature witness between the ages. I, I think wow. as culture shifts and, and at the same time stays the same, the church has to represent a constant sober witness um, that is speaking to different things that we see happening in culture because how we speak to those things bear witness to a God that is, whose heart is grieved. But I, I'm saying sober, though, because we don't want the gospel has to be the thing that continues to inform our passion, inform our witness, inform why we we push into this or push into that. And and not culture, and at the same time, there are things going on in culture that that the world needs to know. Like God cares about that; it grieves His heart. And the only way that the world can see that is by seeing the church, who are God's representatives, grieving, mm -hmm. lamenting, angry, rejoicing, all those type of things. But a sober witness, where it's like between the ages, between the times, between culture, where it's the same witness, but contextualized in, in, in what's happening right here, right now, but the same witness where people walk away feeling, experiencing, smelling Jesus more than the issue, but in context of the issue, 
really seeing Jesus' heart regarding it, right? If they walk away seeing more of the issue than Jesus, then it wasn't a sober witness. But but knowing, understanding, as we get close to these issues and we're looking at these issues and we are bearing witness in the, in the midst of these things and stuff on what people hear and see more than anything else is that God really, really um, is green, is in control, is good. So that's that's what I would take with what Aaron just said about all the fivefold and everything else, how those fivefolds get employed and work, worked out. There's a sober witness within culture, one that's both prophetic and pastoral, one that's doing all these things and walking with people in the midst of it and stuff, but being constantly present. And that's that's what comes to my mind. And I think there's a maturity that that the body needs to to embrace in in, in all the the, yeah. the brokenness and the breaking and everything. He breaks us and heals us. And there's and it's for the for maturity. So so those are the things I think like where that fivefold comes in at and gets displayed and walked out in the midst of the world, it bears a sober witness that that point towards God. Um, in the midst of various cultural issues and, and, and turns around and says, like, there's only one answer to it. We're speaking about Jesus and reflecting his kingdom that you could say, I, instead of saying, hey, go read another. I, I should be able to point to a body of believers and say, this is what it looks like. This is what it should yes. look like. Right. And stuff because yeah. they're all living into those tensions in order yeah. to stay in community with one another and stuff. So yeah. that that needs to be there. We need to be able to say, go look at that. Go look at the church. Go look at how they live into this thing in the midst of a world that's on fire and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then see like, yo, when people and people are like, well, how do I get that peace in the midst of all that confusion? Ah, let me tell you about a king and stuff. You know, so those are the things that come <laughs> yes. Let me tell you about a king. Yes. Mm. Let me tell you, dude. So what is like Aaron's, Aaron's thing died? So yeah, Aaron's thing died. It's it's just you and me now, bro. <laughs> so tell me, um, what are some of the uh smelling salts that you're t- that you're using to wake yourself up, be sober-minded? What what's the black coffee? What's the black coffee you're drinking? to sober you up so that you don't uh, you don't forget about the battle. You know, what's interesting about the fivefold passage in Ephesians 4, man, it's not too far after that in the letter where he starts talking about a battle. Mm-hmm. He starts talking about this isn't, a, this isn't a war against flesh and blood. Don't be looking at people and thinking that they're your enemy. No, right, actually, right, there are right. rulers and powers and kingdoms. There is an enemy who is seeking to, you know, kill and destroy and confuse everything you're doing. And so wake up, put on the armor. Um, and so I'm just curious, Wayne, what's working for you in 2022? How, how are you staying sober? I mean, I, I think, I think one of the things is being, being realistic that as we talk about these things, my heart is not exempt. Like Lord, mm-hmm. show me my heart. Show me how. Uh, like I've been raised inside of this culture as well. There are things that have shaped yeah. me that that oftentimes I just do not see. So as we go into this conversation, I don't go in um like looking outward first, but wow. first forward still was like, yo, oh man, I'm a I'm a man, and even though I'm an African American man, just being a male, there are things that that the that the that the world offers me more but and I, and and I'm just 
I'm oblivious to it at times and stuff. Lord, wake up my eyes to it. Sometimes your eyes can get callous dealing with different things and, and, and you start to, to drift. Lord, show me where my heart drifts at. You know what I'm saying? So I think the first and foremost thing is knowing that your heart is not exempt. The enemy is shooting darts as your heart as well. And, 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 and asking the Lord reveal those things and falling on your knees and stuff. Then the next step, you know, saying like you have to know, like you are fighting yourself, not just wow. giving um, <clears throat> commentary to others and stuff. You know, like the commentary that you do give got to come out of like, man, I've been wounded, too. And, 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 and my bitterness almost grew on my heart, too. And or, or I found bitterness inside of my heart that I didn't, you know, Lord, uproot those things. So the first thing to start at is right right here, looking at me and, and, and asking the yeah, Lord bro. to trick my own heart. And now with those pricked hearts and the pricked eyes and stuff, I turn to my neighbor and we start having more conversations, but it allows me to engage that conversation with more humility and stuff and grace yeah. while yet at the same time, not shying away from truth. So I think that's, that's, that's the thing that I think that I, that I, I need to be intentional with all the time is, yeah. is, is knowing that, um, my heart is not exempt from the attacks of the enemy as well. That's so good, man. Yeah, I, I want to end on that. I want to end on uh, what feels like a Proverbs 4.23 kind of invitation, man. Just protect your heart above all else, for from it flow springs of living water. Mm. And, and none of us are, are exempt, and uh, none of us have it completely figured out. And if we're going to live into our true identity and calling as the church— locally, globally, it is going to be from a place of humility. We follow a humble, crucified Savior, and we walk with joy and commitment to Him uh, with a sober-mindedness. So, dude, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. I know you can hear me from Wayne's computer, even though yours died. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are such a blessing to me, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. We'll talk soon, okay? All right, my dude. Peace out, man. Thanks Thanks for having us, man. Peace, brother. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.